I found over the years that when there's an 800-pound gorilla in the room, the right thing to do is just to address that and not leave it alone. So before I get into reading the scripture, I want to just point out the fact that my accent is not like most of you. I know you hadn't noticed that. And so um, I'll tell you a little story about that. It, um, I have a, a had, he's now with Jesus, a pastor friend in Scotland, Robert Sinclair, Presbyterian minister. And um, our church in Alabama had a, um, a relationship with a church in the eastern part of the Czech Republic. We used to send ministry teams over there to help them in an outreach. And I told my friend Robert, I said, Robert, we're going from Birmingham to the eastern part of the Czech Republic to teach them English. And he started laughing at me. And I said, Robert, why are you laughing? He said, well, you don't speak English. <laughs> and I said, well, yes, I do. He said, no, you don't. I said, how is it that I don't speak English? And he said, well, Alan, there are three languages. There's English, and there's American, and there's Southern. And your native language is Southern. And you speak some American, but you speak very little English. And so I found out I was trilingual, you know, right all of a sudden. Anyway, um, I do hope you can understand me and... uh, I'm sorry if you can't. I mean, it's what I am. Um, I'm thankful for this opportunity to be here. I've known of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church since my early days at Reformed Seminary back in the early uh, 1970s. And um, um, I appreciate what you're doing for the king and the kingdom and uh, what you're doing here in Corvallis. And so um, let's pray and ask God to inspire these words to illuminate them to our understanding. And then we'll uh, look at God's word. Lord, um, we're a needy people, uh, you know that, and by your grace, we know that. Uh, there are people here that need to be born again to a living hope, and I pray for that in the service. There are people here that are struggling, and I pray that you would meet that need. There are people here that are longing for more of you and want to grow, and I pray for them as well. Um, that you would let this word uh, be a hammer, as it were, conforming us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ this time, and that you would use a wretchedly sinful, crooked stick uh, to show the narrow way of the Lord Jesus. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to direct your attention to Joshua chapter 7. And while you're turning to Joshua 7, I want to remind you that we believe the Bible is the word of God written the only infallible rule of faith and practice. It's not our reflections about God. They didn't gather around a campfire and make up stories. And what do you think God's like? It's God's revelation. It's a top-down thing, not a bottom-up thing. And, and, and without God's revelation, uh, we are in deep, deep weeds. Now, um, my sermon grew out, actually. I'm going to focus on Romans 12. But my sermon grew out of reading this passage in Joshua uh, 6 and 7 um, because there was a word used in Joshua uh, that the word devotion and the way it's used in, 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 in Joshua that in, in didn't square with my understanding of what devotion was. And maybe it doesn't square with, with yours either. And so uh, I want to read just two verses um, 
from chapter 6, uh, verses 17 and 18, and then I'll move to chapter 7 uh, uh, and, and read the first 15 verses. And this is, of course, the story about the conquest of Jericho. Uh, chapter 7 is about the fall of Jericho and God's instructions to them about how that would be accomplished and what they were to do as it was accomplished. And it says in verse 17, and the city and all that is within it, chapter 6, verse 17, the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble on it. Devote to destruction. Okay, chapter 7 at verse 1. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near beth east of Bethel, and said to them, go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. They're saying this is a pushover. We'll just mop, mop these people up with a small operation. So about three thousand men went up there from the people and they fled before the men of Ai, and the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shabarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, for he and the elders of Israel, evening he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads and Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do? For your great name. The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people, and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. 
You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes. And the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans. And the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households. And the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire. He and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. Amen. Turn over, please, to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. And I'm going to read the last uh, four verses of chapter 11, the first two verses of chapter 12. And then we'll think for a few minutes about devotion to God. Romans 11 at verse 33. This is kind of the culmination of the first 11 chapters. Kind of a, let's kind of respond and take stock of all that God has been saying to us in the first 11 chapters. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Amen. The grass withers, the flowers fade away. This is God's word. It won't fade. Every jot and tittle will be accomplished in God's own time. So I want to think for a few minutes about devotion to God. Um. The, the, the sound and the phrase is not new. Sometimes we speak of a devoted father or a devoted mother, or a devoted husband or a devoted wife or a devoted friend. Christians are expected to be devoted to God and devoted to one another and to have a devotional time every day. Some of you have been told that, right? You should have a devotional time every day. What does that mean? What does that mean? Consider the following words. There's the verb, devote. But there are the nouns, devotion and devotional. And sometimes we say of a person, he or she is a devotee of a certain type of music or literature. And there are adjectives. There's a devout person and a devoted person. These all sound similar. I think they're related. What is the root meaning? We're going to get to that as we look back at Joshua and right here in Romans 12. So devotion to God, I think, is the fundamental religious posture. The Bible tells us that, that every person on the face of the earth, every animal, everything should be devoted to God immediately, immediately and completely, totally and repeatedly. 
Right? There's urgency. It, it should be done immediately. If you've never de- devoted yourself to God, you should do that now. Why? You say, well, before you meet Jesus. Well, I would rather do that just before I meet Jesus. And say, when is, when is that going to be? You don't know. You don't know. It's the right thing to do, devote ourselves to God. But I want to argue, too, it's the best thing to do. One of the things that's wrong is people say, well, you ought to do that. It's not going to be fun. It's not going to be joyful. Well, it is. The best life you could ever live is a devoted life. A life given over to Jesus Christ. Now, this text in Romans instructs us about two aspects of devotion. The first one is, why should we devote ourselves to God? And secondly, what is the nature of true devotion to God? Why? And then what is the nature of it? So why be devoted to God? The text has two answers. It's because God is God. That's verses 33 to 36 of chapter 11. Because God is God, you should devote yourself to God. And because of His mercy. Because of His mercy. Or as it says in verse 1, by the mercies of God. In the NIV paraphrase, translation, whatever you want to call it, the NIV says, in view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy. That's why. Because God is God. And because God is merciful, has been merciful, is being merciful to his people. Let's look at these as briefly as I can uh, this morning as before we get into the second main point. I've only got two more main points, but don't get your hopes up. They're kind of long. And so, uh, but why be devoted to God? And then secondly, what's the nature of true devotion? Okay. And so I'm saying the reason we should, first of all, be devoted to God is that God is God. In, in verse 33, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom of knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. He's God. He knows what to do in every circumstance. The depth of his riches, unfathomable riches, unfathomably deep. And the riches could be talking about material riches. And certainly God is materially rich. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills and um, made everything, owns everything. Spiritual riches, the depth of his spiritual riches, he's been talking about in these first 11 chapters that that he would give us his only begotten son, that as Jesus went to heaven, he'd pour out the Holy Spirit and someday sends Jesus back. Uh, Yeah, this is, I think, material riches and spiritual riches and the depth of his wisdom. Now, let me just tell you, um, in the ancient world, a wise person wasn't just what we would think about when we think about wise, we think, well, He's a guru, a, a, a wise person's a guru, or or we think of um, um, a, a wise person as being really smart. Okay, so I'm sure there are professors at Corvallis that that are really smart, and and they may excuse me, they you know some of them that publish a lot of books and everything live a debauched life, right? And and in the ancient world, no one would ever said that because a, a wise person in the ancient world, was a person that was eminently practical. Wisdom was not just theoretical, but it was practical. And a a wise person in the ancient world knew how to live. They knew how to do things. And they they lived a certain way, a wise way. And he's saying, God, you are the wise one. You are the one that knows what the good life is. You know how we should live. Uh, Nothing... 
uh, it could be better, you might say, than that. The depth of God's knowledge. What does that mean? Well, it obviously it means God knows everything in the encyclopedia. I got that. But I don't think that's the meaning here. That he knows what to do in every situation. It's a, it's, I think this depth of his, of his riches, of his wisdom and knowledge, it all goes, his riches and wisdom and knowledge, it's all one thing. And what he's really doing is he's responding to these first 11 chapters. And he's basically saying, who would have ever thought this up? That God would send his only begotten son? That that only begotten son who could have freed himself from the cross, you know, he's on the cross. And they said, if you're the son of God, come down from the cross. And he could have done it. You know, he told, he told Peter in Gethsemane, when Peter cut off Malchus's ear with a sword, he turned to Peter and said, don't you think I could call 10,000 angels and, 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 get over, and get past this? But, but he didn't, you see. And, and we would have, you would have never dreamed that up, right? You would have never dreamed that God would become man. And he's celebrating that here. If I can say it without blasphemy, Paul is saying, good job, God. You're amazing. You're awesome. You're wonderful. We talk about things today being awesome. We don't even know what awesome is in our culture today. God is awesome. God is amazing. And the gospel is where you see it the most. So God, we should, we should devote ourselves to God because God knows what to do in every situation. And, and also because we cannot fully figure out God in his ways. The, the text move on, moves on to talk about what we call incomprehensibility, incomprehensibility. We know true things about God. We know true things about God. We know the attributes of God. We know the way of salvation in Jesus Christ. But we don't know God in his ways exhaustively or fully or completely. It says his judgments are unsearchable. We can't fully figure out why God does some of the things that he does. And many people are perplexed by that, right? You may have friends that you've tried to talk to about Jesus Christ. And, and they say, I don't understand God. And, and if I can't understand what God's doing, I, I don't want to be a Christian. I don't want to be a Christ follower. Really? Do you want a God that you can understand? Would you want that God? A God that, a God that, that is no bigger in the mind and no wiser in his ways than you? You really want to make God in your image? I think when people say that, it's one more occasion when they're saying, I'd really like to be God because I think I could do a better job of it. Boy, there are people that say that, right? That think that. There are people like that. There really are. It says his ways are inscrutable and they really are. It says no one has been his counselor or no one has been his advisor. And, and when it says no one uh, has been or who has been his counselor, that doesn't that doesn't mean that that God's never been off to to what we call a shrink colloquially. It doesn't mean that what it means is more like this. You know, presidents uh, have councils of advisors, councils of economic advisors. And what he's saying is that God doesn't have a council of spiritual advisors. God doesn't need a council of spiritual advisors. I mean, is there anybody here that would say of somebody else here, you ought to be on God's council of spiritual advisors? I don't think you want to say that, right? Uh-uh. I mean, even the best of you, you don't want to say that. I mean, 
Look at look at the text again. Uh, who has given a gift to him that he might repay be repaid? Uh, nobody. I love the text in First Corinthians four. I think it's verse seven. What do you have that you did not receive? And the answer is nothing. <laughs> nothing. You don't have anything you didn't receive, right? He said, "But I worked for it." Yeah, but where'd you get the energy to work? Where'd you get smarts to work? Why do you even why do you even exist? Oh. Oh. So we can't advise God on how to run his world. I mean, imagine, imagine tomorrow morning you get a call. Uh this is the chairman of the board at Intel Corporation and and uh we, we want to ask you to come and tell us how to run Intel. Oh. Or Nike or some other big company. Well, I mean, maybe there's somebody here that could do that, but most of you couldn't do that, right? And God's not going to call you tomorrow and say, um, would you come tell me how to run my world? He's not going to do that. He doesn't need to do that. For from Him, He is the Creator and the Source. Through Him, He's the Creative Agent. Unto Him are all things. He's the end of the purpose. Why be devoted to God? Because He's God. And the second reason He gives us why be devoted to God is because, as it says in verse 1 of chapter 12, which is your spiritual worship. And the word spiritual there is the word logikos, which you can hear it, logikos. It's the logical, and some translations have it this way, which is your rational, your spiritual service of worship. It's the, the logical, rational response to God's mercy to us in Jesus Christ. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable God, which is your... It's a rational thing to do. And, and the word worship can be translated service. It's your rational service. It's the right thing to do. It's the right response to make to what God has said to us in all these 11 chapters leading up to this point. His mercies to us in creation... He made us, He sustains us, He sustains us, He providentially guides us. But His mercies in redemption, particularly, His redemption that comes in Jesus Christ. I said it earlier, who would have thought that the Son of God would become man, that the sent Son would come to save? Fully God, fully man, perfectly righteous, the acceptable saving substitute for His people. Perfect life, substitutionary death, victorious resurrection, glorious ascension, coming back for His people someday. This is mercy that makes us alive from the dead. You know that text in Ephesians 2? You were dead in your trespasses and sins. But God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. I mean, the Gospel... And he talks about this in Romans 9, doesn't he? When In the sovereignty of God and salvation. The gospel is like you go by a, a funeral home and you call out to corpses, believe in Jesus! Believe in Jesus! How, how would somebody that's dead ever respond unless God in His mercy made them alive? That's what He did to me when I was 20. I became a church member at age 8, I became a Christian at age 20. Some of you would bear similar testimony. It's mercy. It's like, you know, you, we used to go out to recess. 
and we choose up teams. And there would always be somebody out there that nobody wanted on their team. Did y'all have that happen at your recesses, you know? Uh, I'm, well, I shouldn't even use this story because I hear they don't even have recess at school. That's one of the problems, you know, with American education. We don't have recess anymore. <laughs> but anyway, um, but we used to go out. We only had 15 or 20 minutes, but we'd choose up sides and play a game. And there were guys nobody wanted on their team. Right? And I'm the guy. And God said, I'll take that one to be on my team. Why not that one, God? I, I want this one. Because I can get glory for this one. Worst player on the squad, I can get glory for him. That's what he's celebrating. Mercy that sovereignly saves people who are dead, justified freely by grace through faith, sanctified initially and gradually and someday completely, adopted into his family, written into his will, given his name, children of God. Who would you adopt into your family? Would you adopt me? Would you write me into your will? I'll see you after the service. Right? You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do that. No. God does that. He's celebrating that. The glories of this great salvation. This mercy that's good news. So why be devoted to God? Because He's God. And because He's been merciful to those who did not deserve His mercy. To everyone who's trusted in Jesus Christ, this is who you are. That's my first point. Okay, he's moving along. Second point. What is devotion to God? I've been baiting you with that one. I meant to. Listen carefully. Devotion to God is the sacrifice of the self. Excuse me. Devotion. I'm going to give a generic definition first. Devotion is the sacrifice of the self in the service of another. So a mother, a devoted mother, has a baby that can't do anything for himself or herself. What does she do? Here's my agenda. I will set my agenda aside. I will die to self. And I will be a mother to this child. That's what makes a mother a mother. You have to set your agenda aside. You have to die to self. Devotion, in generic version, is the sacrifice of the self in the service of another. Fathers do the same, same thing. People, some of you are probably caring for, caring for old or infirm family members. What does that require? Dying to self in order to serve. Sure. To devote, you have to give up your agenda, give up your desires for the needs and the desires of another. In the Bible, in the Bible, a devoted thing is a dead thing. Right? A devoted thing is a dead thing. Go back to Joshua, chapter, chapter 6, chapter 7. So, go in there, and there are these devoted things, and you're supposed to destroy them. Burn them with fire. Destroy them. A devoted thing is a dead thing. If you were in the Old Testament, you took a sacrifice up to the temple, 
uh, and you devoted it to God, what did they do? Kill it. Would die. And it'd be presented to God as a sacrifice. Right? Right. Verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. See, the language is the language of sacrifice. Present. If you look back in chapter 6 of Romans at verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So, a devoted thing is a dead thing. It's true in Joshua 7. You also can find that same concept in Leviticus 27 and in Numbers 21. If you go and look at the word devote or uh, devout or that root of words in the Oxford English Dictionary, it'll say that the root, the root of our word devote or devout or devotional or something like that, the root is the Latin word devovery. D-E-V-O-V-E-R-E, devovery. And it will say to you in the Oxford English Dictionary that to devote is to curse. Curse. Oh, think about it. So I present, I devote this sacrifice to God. The sacrifice is curse. My curse. Your curse. On Jesus Christ. You get it now? See? That's what it is. That's. To curse, to devote or consecrate, to mark out or appoint. So, when you devote, you die to what you want to do to do something for somebody else. So, in Acts 6, verse 4, the apostles said, we will devote ourselves, devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. What, what, are, what are they saying? Look, we've got to stop this waiting table stuff and we've got to pray and minister the Word to His flock. We've got to set aside one thing in order to do another thing. That's what it meant. This is why devotion is, can only be to one thing. Jesus said, you, you cannot serve two masters, for either will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can only die in one direction, so to speak. So the point is, when we devote ourselves to something, we give ourselves over to that something or someone to the exclusion of other things which we might be tempted to. So I've devoted myself to my wife, and so I've said no to other people, other women. Right? Die to those relationships to have this relationship. Abraham was devoted to devote his son Isaac. In Genesis 22, to love is to sacrifice self in order to serve. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. And some of you could bear testimony. I've given myself up for her to grow her that she might flourish. Jesus said to them all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, his instrument of death daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The call of Christ, men and women and children, is to come to Christ and follow in his footsteps. Real life 
This is what the world doesn't know. This is what all the movie stars and all the people, the influencers in culture don't know. That real life begins when you come to the foot of the cross, when you die to self, when you seek to serve Jesus, and your heart gets full. I want to apply this a little bit more. We're to die daily. You'll notice this text says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So he's obviously not saying, hey guys, go out and knock yourself off. He's not saying that. No, anybody go out here and say, the preacher said, I need to go kill myself. I'm not saying that. The text is not saying that. But the problem with living sacrifices is what? Well, they can crawl, right? You get me, you, up on the altar of sacrifice, living for Jesus, I can crawl off that thing pretty quickly. My hunch is you can too. And so, a living sacrifice, you have to die daily, right? Uh, as, as I read from Romans 6, present yourself to God as those alive from the dead, as a holy sacrifice, a pure, as pure as you can be. I, I, I've been meditating. I want to develop a sermon on this text and this concept that the church is the bride of Christ. And that Jesus is coming. You read this in Revelation 19, 20, 21, long in there. Jesus is coming for His bride. How pure do you want to be when Jesus comes and says, I want to marry you? What do you want to be like? What do you, what do you want to, what do you, how will, how will you wish you had lived at that moment? How will you have, how will you have wished you had lived now when you come to that moment? Acceptable sacrifice here is pleasing. And I, so I, I think sacrifice is a key concept that comes to describe the Christian life, comes out of the Word of God to do that. Notice the, the, our devotions to be very holistic. It, it, it's obviously the mind. He, he says uh, in verse 2, do this by the renewal of the mind. But here he says, present your bodies, your eyes and your ears, what you look at and listen to and what you don't look at and listen to, your bodies, your tongues, what you say and what you don't say, uh, your hands and your feet, what you do, where you go, what you don't do and where you don't go. I wish I had time to draw all that out, but there's a lot of, uh, that can be drawn out from the Scriptures about presenting your bodies as, as living sacrifices. But it really means that all of life is to be worshipped. Um, uh, your spiritual worship, your logical service, the reasonable thing to do in response to the mercies of God. It should, begin, it should impact how you live every day from the beginning of the day to the middle of the day to the end of the day. I, I, I've sometimes said this. That it seems to me that all of us who are devoted to Jesus Christ, all of us that are born again to a living hope, I ought to kind of show up to God every day in the morning and say, Private Carter reporting for service, sir. What do you want me to do today? Change diapers and cook food. That's not very exotic, God. Well, that's my calling on your life. That's my calling on your life. You fill in what the blank is for you in Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord, not unto men. But it gives new meaning. And listen to this: if you, if you if you if if your neighbor's asleep, wake them up. This is this is a key thing. Okay. Listen carefully. Some of you've been told you have to have a devotional every day. Okay. You got to have a devotional time. You got to have a devotional. What do you do? You read the Bible and pray, right? Yes, but 
You can read the Bible and pray without having a devotional. I've done it countless times. Because you see, there can be no devotional until something has been devoted. And I'm supposed to devote myself to God every day. You see how you can do it? All you have to do is read the Bible. Read your gimme list to God. Give me this, give me that, give me this other thing. But you had not devoted a thing. You, you die to self and say, I'm here to serve you, Lord Jesus. Has to do with how we live the day. I won't draw this out. Has to do with how we end the day. Devotion to God is inherently countercultural, right? Do not be conformed to this world. Uh, in in um, Sunday school or vacation Bible school, you made a little sword out of, of, of um, um, cardboard, and then you took aluminum foil and you wrapped it around. And when you put that aluminum foil around the shape of that cardboard thing to make a sword to whap your friend with, right? You were conforming, you were conforming the aluminum foil to the shape that you grip it to. And we're to conform ourselves to the image of, of God, to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. And, and you know the Greek word for transform, it's metamorphosis. And you ask a sixth grader about what metamorphosis is, they can tell you about butterflies and how they change from this to that. And, and so, we, the, the, we will, don't be conformed to the world. Don't let the world shape you this way, but change, grow to maturity in Jesus Christ. That is what he's saying in view of God's mercy here. We've got to realize, resist, and reject what the world is trying to do to us on a daily basis when it conflicts with the Bible. We've got to renew our minds, which are fallen. You know, Catholic theology, Roman Catholic theology doesn't believe the minds are fallen, but, but we do in the historic Protestant tradition. And our minds have to be remade by studying the Word of God and the teachings of God and the theology of God and the things that you mentioned in the announcements today for the, for the men's study and and, and all the other things. So now you know from the Bible what to do. Devote yourself to God. Why to do it? Because God is God and because He's been merciful. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, in view of God's mercy, to present yourself, offer yourselves to God as living sacrifices, holy Acceptable to God. Do that immediately. Do that completely. Do that repeatedly, day by day. Why did he need that exhortation for them? Well, we're forgetful. We're pretty busy with our own agendas. As a matter of fact, many are disoriented. I think there are a lot of people today that think God is up there to help me with my agenda here, rather than I'm here to help God with His agenda. Those are really radically different ways to orient your life and your thinking. It'll take faith, big gobs of faith, to follow Jesus' instructions, to believe the Gospel, to die to self, to devote myself to God as a living sacrifice. But it's worth it. It's worth it. Why do I say that? Because on the other side of death is what? Life. It was for Jesus. 
And it will be for you. I'm convinced there's probably somebody here that you've kind of done the Christian thing as far as you've understood it, and you still feel like something's missing. I know the truth. I said I acknowledge the facts of the truth. But you still feel like there's a hollowness there. Die to self every day. Be a servant. Servant of Jesus. Servant of the Gospel. Servant of your Christian friends. After death is life. It was for Jesus. And friend, it will be for you. The sacrament we observe today is the sacrament of the devoted son. Dead, but living. He's a living sacrifice today. You get it? He's a living sacrifice. So what we are asked to do is to trust Him and do what He did and follow in His steps. Die to self and serve others. Do you have that much faith? I hope you do. I don't think you'll be disappointed in this life or the next. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the living sacrifice. And you're only asking us to do what you did and devote ourselves to God. You devoted yourself to destruction for us. And you're asking us to give up our agendas to live for you. In view of your mercies, give us the grace, give us the faith to do that. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.